0: So we're beginning today, uh, four uh, sermons on Gideon, and so this is uh, the first uh, part of Gideon's story that we just heard uh, Heather read out, and uh, we need to know a little bit about the the world of this book of the Judges, um, and this world that kind of gets created by that narrative. Um, It's a pretty uh, bloodthirsty world in Judges, Um, there's a lot of fighting. Um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of battles going on. Um, also what tends to happen in Judges is you have uh, a repeated pattern that gets told throughout the story where you've got the people of Israel have been established in the Promised Land and they are okay for a little while and then they pretty much start to completely turn away from God and they're disobedient, they worship other gods they are abusive to one another and to people around them, all of that kind of stuff. And basically, uh, them as a nation, as a people, become oppressed by usually some kind of foreign enemy. Um, they get delivered, the, the languages they're delivered into the hands of whoever it is. In this case, in our story, it's the hands of the Midians. And then God raises up, uh, a leader amongst the people who is called a judge. And that judge helps to deliver Israel, to save Israel from that oppressor, and then also leads them in some kind of usually it's some kind of spiritual renewal where they turn back to God, start worshiping God again, and things start going right with them as a people. And that and, and then usually the judge dies, and then the pattern is that they fall back into their bad ways, and then they're, they're Else and then and the pattern goes on and on for judges. And in some cases, this pattern is told in one or two verses really quick. Um, and in other cases, you get long extended stories, like in the example of Gideon, um, or someone like uh, Deborah, it's another judge who's held up and has kind of a longer story, um, or Samson, you might know Samson's story, um, where he has a longer story in book of judges. Um, now, a judge, we, we're not to think of judges like lawyers and judges and courtrooms and that kind of thing in the same way that we would. Although judges would, would be brought cases in uh, amongst the people, uh, disputes between the people, and they would, in fact, judge between them. But in the book of Judges, primarily, the judge is essentially more seen as a leader, someone who's raised up by God. There's no king in Israel at this time. It's before the king kingdom has been established. And so these are kind of informal leaders who raise up and start to rally people to God's cause. Um, so our, our specific story is about this Midianite oppression that's going on. And so the first six verses of our story talk about the Midianites have basically taken over all of uh, the promised lands that the Israelites were supposed to be living in. And essentially they stopped their economy. They brought uh, Israel to uh, so grinding and halt. So there's no more farming, they're a, a farming economy. And the Israelites have to hide, they've been hiding for seven years in the mountains and caves uh, and it says in strongholds as well, or fortresses. And um, essentially God, like the pattern goes, God lets me do this because of the Israelite rebellion. Um, and the Israelites cry out to the Lord, we find out in verse 7. And God actually sends them a prophet initially, who tells the people uh, that their calamity, their current uh, situation is because of their idolatry, because they have been worshipping the gods of the Amorites, And uh, that's the the people of the land where they live. And so this is all happening to them because they turned away from God. Now, I don't know if we can relate to this specific context. This is basically the context that that Gideon gets uh, called into. Um, But there might be a way to to relate to this. Um, Maybe our our church can sometimes feel, not necessarily that we turned away from God, but in some ways we're in this sort of wilderness time of, maybe the culture has turned away from God and we kind of don't know what to do with that um, or how to respond to that. But it can also even be sort of in your work or your family or your life in general. You just sometimes feel as though uh, I've lost my way or the people around me have lost my way and I, I don't how to stay faithful. Like certainly there were Israelites who had turned away from God, but then there's others who are sort of just in this time of uncertainty, not really knowing how to be in a place where everyone around them, seems to be doing things that are really not according to what god would want and i actually think we can relate to that context because we can look around in our world or in our city in our country and kind of say well i i don't think the way that we're treating the poor in our in our city is really how god would want us to treat the poor we're supposed to be holding them up my family might be broken and and there's abuse going on i don't think god wants that for families how do i respond to that how do i end that or our church might you like, wow, there's insurmountable odds and, and there's so many more people who are not part of churches, part of loving community anymore. How, do we, how are we in that? How do we respond to that? And into this kind of context, um, they're, like, they're in this context for seven years, at least in this specific one. Into this one, we get the call of Gideon. So Gideon is called by God. God intervenes. And it starts with an angel of the Lord who sits under an oak tree. And right nearby this oak tree is a wine press. And they would have been these big, big things. And Gideon is inside the wine press, but he's not pressing grapes. He's in there to hide while he is beating out wheat. Because if any Midianites see him, right, they're going to stop any farming practices they can. They're trying to shut down the Israelite economy, essentially. So he's hiding. Gideon's a farmer hiding in a wine press doing his farming work. Now, the first thing to note as this angel shows up is that Gideon has no idea that this is the angel of the Lord. Most likely, Gideon thinks this is some man. He doesn't know. Something's just kind of showing up. He doesn't see the appearance. There's no no glowing halo or anything like that. Gideon doesn't know that it's the angel of the Lord. And yet, this angel shows up and says to Gideon, the Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. And immediately, Gideon objects and his two primary objections. The first one is, God is not with us. And you see what Gideon does, right? We hear, when, when we hear what the angel says, he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. We always hear that individualistically. People in the Bible never hear you as individualistic. They always hear his community. So when he hears, the Lord is with you, he immediately says, the Lord's not with us. He's relating that to his community, to his people, not just him personally.
1: So he says, his objection, first, God's not
0: with us. And he says, where are all the wonderful deeds that our ancestors told us about? Like when he brought us up out of Egypt and freed us as slaves, where is all that? Look, at, look around you, right? He he's talking to another man, look around you, the Lord's not with us. We're decimated and devastated by the Midianites. Where are all the great things that God did? Now, I want you to think about the time frame here that he's referring to. The great things that have passed down to them from their ancestors. The time frame is, well, it was 40 years of wandering the desert from when they were first freed from Egypt. And then after that, there's actually about a 200-year time span from the time they entered the promised land and essentially conquered it to when Gideon is called, about 200 years. So 240, 250 years, and that's what he's looking back to, saying, well, nothing's happened for 250 years, essentially. Why is it blood doing things like that? God is not with us. It's actually no small thing for God to for to be saying that God is not with us. Because I think we feel like that all the time. We feel like that all the time. Well, God is not with me. You know, I've got, uh, uh, my mom is, is sick, or my, my aunt has got cancer, or I, I'm struggling because my friend has just passed away, and I don't know how to deal with that. It doesn't feel like God is with me. It doesn't feel like God is with us. The church feels like it's an exile. We don't know how to reach out anymore. It doesn't seem to be working all the time. It doesn't feel like God is with us. Do we ever feel like that? Now, they look back on the Exodus, on the time of freedom from, from Egypt, and they were looking back 250 years. How far do we have to go back in order to, to go, well, why doesn't God do what God did then? Do we have to go all the way to the Bible? Do we have to go to Jesus and the apostles and the amazing things that they did? I don't actually think we do need to go back that far. Of course, we should go to the Bible and look at what it says, but we don't have to go back that far. I want to read to you, or just to to mention something to you that I found in the Dictionary of Canadian Biography. And this is the entry for James Robertson. James Robertson served as the superintendent of missions in the Northwest for the Presbyterian Church in Canada. And the Northwest was considered Lakehead, Ontario, all the way to Edmonton, because there was nothing past it. Okay. And he eventually expanded his territory as mission superintendent to BC and the Yukon as well. And he started working as a superintendent mission in 1881. And when he began his work, there was one presbytery, which is sort of the regional area. So the presbytery covered uh, Lake, Ontario, to Edmonton. We complain about our presbytery went being far from, And it's basically up to Thompson and over to Kenora. Um, he had Lakehead to Edmonton and didn't have the internet, right? So um, when he began, there was one presbytery, and it had four congregations in that entire area, and 18 what were called mission points, so not fully organized congregations. And by the time of his death in 1902, that was just 21 years later, there were 18 presbyteries with 141 congregations and 226 mission points. Points, except that somehow that translates into there was actually about 1100 uh, points of ministry taking place because there were certain points of ministry that were actually under congregations or mission points that didn't have full stats as even mission points or congregations. So, all in all, there are 18 presbyteries with 1100 places where mission was going on, missionary ministry was going on. And when it first started, there was one presbytery with about 22 folks, From 22 to 1100 in 21 years. I mean, that's remarkable. And we might just think, well, that's about immigration and Western expansion and all of that. And it really isn't. If you go back, if you, I had a chance to read his biography, and they worked tirelessly to make sure that there were churches and people speaking in frontier towns and everywhere people were, they did everything they could to make sure the gospel of Jesus Christ got there. Amazing. And Robertson himself would say, it wasn't really me who did this. It was God who just decisively took action and used him as an instrument to accomplish great things. That was only 112 years ago. In Gideon's time, they're looking back 250 years, and we are so quick to forget anything about the goodness of what God has done for us. They would look back generations about three years. And you don't even have to really go back that far. Many of you personally don't have to go back that far. You can likely remember where your faith was most vibrant in your life. And for some of you, it might even be right now. Isn't that wonderful? The thing is, we always have hope. We always have a possibility with God. Gideon and the people of his time, they felt like they had absolutely nothing. And we may feel we can relate, but we haven't lost anywhere near what they have lost. When God took action with them. And yet God takes action. He acts decisively and swiftly through Gideon to save his people. Imagine if God were to do that with us. We're skeptical of this kind of thing, I know, but, but this is what's so great about Gideon's story because he is your average working farmer trying to survive by grinding meal, hiding inside a wine press, and he's a skeptic as well. The angel of the Lord comes to him and says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon thinks the one talking to him is out of touch with reality. Who is this crazy guy coming and telling me this? It's his response, essentially. Objection number one, the Lord's not with us. God has abandoned us to the Midianites. And then verse 14, something interesting happens in the text. stops calling this angel of the... The text stops saying the angel of the Lord and simply says the Lord. I don't know really what that's about, but suddenly it seems like just as the word Yahweh there is now speaking again. I mean, it's still the angel. We know that it's true, the angel, but it's kind of almost like the text is trying to tell us that, no, this is God saying this. It's true, the angel, but it's God who's speaking. And the response to his objection of the Lord is not with us is this. Go in this might of yours and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. I hereby commission you and the Midianites. Yes, things are pretty bad, and you know what, I'm about to change all of that through, so get going. You have the strength, and I'm commissioning you. Go save Israel, overthrow your oppressors. There's the solution. Off you go. And objection number two from Gideon is this. I'm not mighty. I have no strength. How can I deliver Israel? My clan is the weakest and I am the least of my family. Is his response. And God responds to that with basically, you're not listening to me, Gideon. I will be with you. Once again, the response is, I will be with you and you will strike down every last minute because I'm with you. And that's what I want to have happen. Now at this point, Gideon has to find out is this a crazy man, or is this really from God? And it's kind of like, fine, if, you are, if what you're saying is true, then you really need to give me some sort of sign that it really is true. So, wait here, he says to the angel of the Lord, wait here, and I'll go and get a gift for God, and I'll place it before you. I'm not sure what giving was hoping to accomplish here. But the angel, and I don't even know if God knew, or the angel knew, the, the angel basically says, fine, I'll wait. Gideon goes back home, I guess, and prepares a goat, and essentially out of that goat he gets meat and broth, and uh, he also makes uh, some unleavened bread, um, which you can do very quickly, and uh, then goes back to the oak tree. And the angel says, take the meat and the bread and put them on this rock and pour out the broth. And so Gideon does it. And then the angel takes his staff, touches the tip of it to the meat and the bread, and fire springs up out of the rock and consumes the food. And then the angel completely disappears. And I'm thinking Gideon's got to be standing there going, Oh no. <laughs> it wasn't a crazy man. And there in verse 22, we finally find out, then Gideon perceived that it was the angel of the Lord. In other words, he didn't know before. Now he's figured it out. And Gideon said, Help me, Lord God, for I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Um, Because then it was believed that if you saw the angel of the Lord, if you saw God, you would die. But the Lord said to him, Now remember, the angel disappeared. So I don't know how he's hearing this. Nobody's there. Is it in his mind? Somehow he's still communicating with God. But the Lord said to him, Do not fear, you shall not die. And Gideon built an altar there to the Lord, and called it the Lord's peace, or Yahweh Shalom. It's interesting what Gideon does to try to to figure things out. He doesn't just go. He doesn't just say, okay, well, yeah, uh, you told me I might, so I'm just going to go and and, uh, start killing Midianites." You know, that's going to be what I'm going to do he slows everything down and what he ends up doing is he ends up discerning through acts of worship and prayer. It does seem like that to us, but that's what's going on with this sacrifice. That's an act of worship and prayer. And Gideon slows everything down to that uh, Even God has to wait for Gideon to, to go and, and prepare the things. To reflect and to discover, to come to terms with his experience, he needs to slow down Pray and worship. And see, most of us think we already know. We we either think we know, oh, this is what God wants me to do, and absolutely I'm gonna do it, or we think we know, well, God doesn't really do that kind of thing anymore. Or whatever it is, most of us think we already know. Most of us make decisions right away. We'll decide, well, I'm not. And say, well, this is all about doing this. I know it. Most of us decide up front what we think or feel about a situation. Whether it's in our families, or at work, in our lives, or in our church, we already have our minds made up about how we feel about it. And Gideon kind of starts in that place, in a sense, right? He argues with the angel, right? He thinks he knows better. That the angel comes and says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior, and he objects right away. He's already about to. And not always used well most of the time again we approach prayer as though we know everything because we have our list we know what we want to pray for we know people we God got sick and we we're going to pray for healing for them Hi. we know what we want to tell God we know what we want God to do so I'm going to spend time in prayer instructing God on what he ought to do There's something a little wrong about that now, I think we should go to God with absolutely specific requests for healing, for situations, and we should pray our heart's desire for what we want to see happen, because I think God's placed those things there. But we also need prayers that are more like this God, show me where you are in all of this. God, is this from you? God, what are you saying to me or to us? We need more prayers like that. We need to spend time in prayer about our lives, about our congregation. I mean, think about our issue. We're dealing with lots of change, with lots of newness, and we need prayer. Prayer is the only thing that's going to work here. And not just prayer that everything is going to go smoothly, and prayer that we'll come together as one community. Not just prayer for unity. Not just prayer as though we know the end result. But we need prayer that we will all be able to see where God is in all of this. When you have an experience of, of change or of major transition, that's actually the kind of prayer that is required. We often don't pray that kind of prayer. We pray, God, get me through this. Rather than, God, where are you in this? See, Gideon's prayer initially is, you know, God, help us to survive. I'm hiding in my wine press. Get my work done to make my bread. His prayers would have been just about survival. But his prayers needed to shift once God was moving and doing something. Gideon was hiding inside a winepress, counting out wheat. But God knew that Gideon was really the one who would save Israel from the Midianites. Will we all be like Gideon? Well, probably not. But what we'll see as we study Gideon over the next few weeks was that 32,000 men were willing to follow Gideon into battle. And God did something in each of those 32,000 as well as in Gideon. Not all of us will be the mighty warrior, leader, judge, but all of us will have a call by God in our life. And sometimes that call is simply to be patient or to persevere. But sometimes there's more to it than that. There's deeper involvement. There might be speaking up. There might be staying silent and listening. There might be acceptance. There might be decisive action. But it begins with listening to God and valuing what God says. Valuing what God says over and above the circumstances in which you find yourself and over and above what you think about yourself. Gideon was the lowest one in the weakest clan, Hyde. Gideon was weak, but God was about to make him strong. And it began with him hearing from God, hearing, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. God, say something similar to you. But we don't know unless we listen. We must pray. So let's pray for that. Loving God, we thank you for your spirit that is speaking to us. God, we ask that you can give us uh, open ears and open hearts to you. Help us not to just come to you with uh, a list full of prayers, but to come to you with, uh, with openness to what you are saying. Uh, help us to see where you are at work. Give us discerning hearts and minds uh, for where you are leading us as individuals, as families, um, as a congregation, as a church. And help us, Lord, to cling on to the hope that you bring. You are a God of hope and new life. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray.